this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. That was good. James chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and, com and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should expect uh, to receive, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Thank you, Ryan. Hello, everyone. So, so glad to be here. So glad to be on the other side. So, it's a great, um, great thing to come through trouble on the other side. Y'all agree? So, it's just a, a good thing, a good day, a good feeling. Some, a, a lot of things have changed about me uh, during this year. Um, those of you who have been following along have noticed my hair journey. I went from not long, luscious locks. I always had short hair, but I went from that to being bald. Y'all remember that stage? So, yeah, um, it was a nice long one that I endured. Um, and now I have these curls that are coming in. This is me pulling it straight with a blow dryer. But um, yesterday it was, I mean, it's just like ringlets everywhere. I'm like, what is happening? Like, what has happened to my hair? So um, there's a lot of things under these clothes that have changed. You all will never see. I don't know if Mark will ever see. So we'll just have to hope that he does. Um, and, and this morning I realized that there's something else in me that has changed. And that is the fact that I'm not a camper. I've never been a camper. My mom and daddy didn't take me camping. Um, it just wasn't how I grew up. But I'm ready to trade the home in for um, an Airstream and about 50 acres. Because I kid you not, it took me 19 minutes. That is not a lie. It's not an exaggeration. I'm not, 19 minutes to back out of my driveway today. Why? Because all of my children live with me. Don't believe the lie. The empty nest lie, empty nest syndrome, whatever you want to call it, it's a lie. Like, it's just this vague mirage that hangs out there. So, we live in a neighborhood that has an HOA, and we have some neighbors across the street um, who are not as friendly as 
I would like them to be. They don't like our cars blocking their driveway, which I get that. So the driveway, the house is built for seven. Thankfully, we have a basement, so children are scattered everywhere. Um, but the driveway is built for two. Um, it has a two-car garage and then this hill. So there are six of us drivers who live in my home. So, And my car is in the garage this morning. I get ready to leave, preaching on joy, the joy cycle. I look out, and I'm like, well, great. So I have several cars to move. Not just two cars. You would think just two cars would be lined up behind me, right? Like you pull in, there's two-car garage, two cars, and two cars. No. They, they park it like this puzzle thing that's going on. I mean, it's not just one car behind another. It's they're tilted, they're leaned. They're, I mean, it looks horrible because if the tail end of any of our cars sticks out on the driveway, those neighbors get mad. So, and all of our cars don't fit, fit lengthwise. So 19 minutes. First car I had to move was Olivia's. And Olivia has a sleeping baby when I'm getting ready to leave. And how many of you know, you don't wake a sleeping baby ever and so I'm looking out, and I'm like, crap, I've got to move Olivia's car. So I go to her car to start it. We have a key bowl. Her keys are not in there. The key bowl is just for all of us because we always have to move so many cars, hence the Airstream and the 50 acres of land. So the car bowl is there, and, I mean, the keys are not there. I'm like, no keys. So I gently go down. She and Michael are quarantined from each other because uh, Delta 18 has made its way through our home. He's the last one, still quarantined. So the baby and Olivia are on another bedroom, and I'm just tiptoeing in the dark, crossing my fingers. Um, why am I scared of my own child and my own house? It's just what we do. So I'm scared, like, that if I wake her, she's going to let me have it. So I just gently hit Olivia. I'm like, keys. I need keys. Like, i got to have keys. And um, she's like, they're in the car. They're in the car. Like, they're not in the car. I just tried to start it. And she's like, did you have the door open? I'm like, yeah. She said, it's not going to start with the door open. So 19 minutes later. So Target has cute little camping things now that you can put in an Airstream. Pottery Barn has great things, actually, that you can put in an Airstream. So 50 acres and some land. Uh, the kids are going to stay with us. They're not leaving. I'm convinced of that. So we're going to just put some pup tents um, across the 50 acres. They're going to be way back. It's only The Airstream is only big enough for Mark and I. So help me find that. I would appreciate it. So All right, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we do thank you for this day. God, I am, for one, so thankful about your goodness, just so thankful about who you are. Lord, I just invite you into this space this morning. God, I invite you into our hearts and into our minds. I thank you, Lord, that you take charge of this service. Lord, that you take charge of my mouth, my mind, everything that I've studied, everything that I've prepared. Lord, everything that I have went through this year that you would like shared with, with the ears of those who sit here today, I thank you that you are in charge today. We love you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be here. I thank you that we leave this place changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, that was my morning, preaching on joy. Wasn't sure how mature I felt uh, as I was moving those cars. So... Um, how many of you know, like, it, it, before I even get started, I want you to know that although it was a long year, it was a very good year. There is actually no way, there's actually just, our vocabulary is so limited when it comes to being able to express who Jesus Christ is. So, I mean, you got to figure, we're taking the God of the universe 
and we're trying to meld him down into an experience that we've had where we have seen just a tiny little aspect of him. And then I'm getting asked all the time, tell me, tell me how to do it. Tell me how you made it through. Tell me how to let go. Tell me how this happens. It reminds me of Olivia asking me, you know, she's in this first year of, of raising Johnny Love, and she's like, you did this four times? Like, I did. I did it four times. She's like, Mama, did, but was it like this? I'm like, yep. I was like that. She's like, like you actually didn't sleep? I'm like, Olivia, I haven't slept in 28 years. Like, what is sleep? You know, she's like, you had to change all these diapers and carry all this stuff with you. I'm like, yeah, for decades. So, I mean, it's just what mom says. She's like, gosh, you just made it look so simple. You made it look so easy. So I want you all to take a look at, at this video real quickly. One minute, 25 seconds of a time lapse of a little girl named Natalie, not one of my kids, but um, because I didn't do that, I, I, technology. But I might have Ryan do that for me for all four of my kids. I'm going to give him some pictures he might can make happen. So Natalie, zero to 12 years old in one minute and 25 seconds. That's what I feel like our testimonies are. How many of you know that there is no way we know anything about Natalie this morning except that she's cute and she made it from zero to 12? So if we had her progress to age 80 and we showed a time video of her, at most, we would be able to see five minutes of it. We don't know when Natalie's first tooth came in. We don't know if she broke an arm. We, we weren't there the nights that her parents probably had to hold a cold rag to her head and break a fever. We weren't there on her first day of school. We don't know if she struggled in school, what kind of education she had. We don't know what her relationships looked like. We just see a cute little girl who just is growing. To me, that's like what it is for me to try to explain to you who God was in the details, in the finite details of my life. It reminds me of those popcorn testimonies. I don't know if y'all know what those are. Um, if you're old school, you know what they are, where you go to church and before the preacher gets ready to preach, um, they say, hey, I want some, some testimonies tonight. Somebody tell me something good God has done for you. And so maybe Ned would stand up and say, hey, he healed me of, of you know, I don't know, takes healed me of pneumonia and it takes like you know him 20 seconds to tell that 
And then, and then you know, Miss Ann, stand up, give us a popcorn testimony. She said, well, he healed me, uh, my marriage, back in the day, and tells this a minute and a half story. There, there is no adequate way to know the God of the details except that you are in the details, right? So as I get ready to communicate to you today um, how, to, how to make it through the other side of a trial and the other side of trouble and joy, I, I want you to know that this is the thing I know about God. He is extremely personable. And there is no way I can know him for you. I can try to come up with a three-point sermon, and I did. I can try to come up with some ways that help because I think that that is what shepherds do is to help lead and guide. But at the end of the day, any trouble that you may find yourself in this year, and how many of you know what the Bible says about trouble? It comes, right? We overcome, but it comes. There's no stopping it. There's no choosing it. There's no picking it. There's no us getting to define it first. It just shows up on our doorstep for a variety of reasons. No matter what that trouble is for you this morning, you need to know that your answer, regardless of how many sermons you hear, regardless of if you came to church every day and got a little popcorn testimony from Mark and I about our lives, and we try to just send something to you that you can take home and and grab hold of, if you did that one hour, four times a month, for 52 weeks, for 10 years, it will never, ever, 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 ever replace you and your king being like this. So nothing. And if you don't have that, you need to run after it. You need to figure out how to lean into him. The Bible says this about him. If you seek him, you find him. I can't give you any other formula than that. If you seek him, you will find him. And knowing him is the only way to make it through hell. I'm just going to tell you. It is the only way. But we're going to take a look at trouble today. So um, he has been so good to me. So I believe that he is not a God, that he's partial, right? So my God is your God, right? So any of you facing anything today, same God, same Jesus. We're all different. He's the same. Never changes. Word is true. He, he doesn't shy away from his word. So he is here and he hastens, the Bible says. That means he quickly Quickly, quickly, quickly. feels like a long time to us because of our timetable. But he quickly hastens to perform his word in us. So we're hanging on to that as we read the scripture. So um, put James 1 up for me. James 1, 2, and 4, 2 through 4, um, and we'll read a little bit more as well. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, I didn't feel very joyful last August 21st when I left my uh, biopsy and got a phone call that said it was cancer. But the Bible says that we are to consider it an opportunity for joy. I was considering it an opportunity for death, just like many of you who sit in here. Trouble hits, and you're like, I'm done. I'm done. It's like the first thought. That, that comes your way. The Bible says it's an opportunity for joy. How many of you think our world needs some joy? 
And it's not enough to me to just think, um, well, you know, I'm born again, so the king of joy lives in me, so, you know, I just need to be joyful. Isn't that what we tell people sometimes? And we're just like, well, you're saved. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's great. I get that. It is. But sometimes this little thing right here just wants to stay in the way of this kind of statement. It wants to stay in the way and take control, and it, it wants to um, just uh, take, take over the aspect of who Jesus is and who he wants to be in our life. The Bible says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, something none of us like. So let us grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, you will be complete, and you will be lacking nothing. You will be lacking nothing. So um, I've titled this message today, if you like titles, um, just the joy cycle. So if you'll put that joy cycle up here. There are a lot of things in the Bible that, that God does kind of lay out a system for us. He is a God of cycles. That's why he said a, a seed can't even produce unless it does what? Fall into the ground and die first. Then it produces there are a lot of cycles that we have in life. And James has laid a beautiful cycle for joy out for us in this passage. And that cycle includes trouble. And what, what my flesh wants to say before I say trouble, I want to say unfortunately includes it. But I don't know that I could say unfortunately when at the end of the day, if you make it through, you're joyful and the king of God is glorified and he shows up and he shows out and other people know him. So, so as much as I don't like trouble and as much as I don't want to speak trouble and as much as I don't want to run towards trouble, I want to try to flee trouble, I have to know and I have to believe the first step in making it in this joy cycle is to know it's an opportunity for God to show up. We all want to part the Red Sea, but nobody wants to stand in front of it with nowhere to go. With absolutely nowhere to go. It reads good. It's like a little popcorn story when we read it. And we're like, gosh, Moses, man, I would love to be him. Such a great exploit for the king. Lord, let me part the Red Sea until we're standing there. And we're like, there's no way out which is where I found myself this year. I was like, there's no way out of this year-long thing that I'm about to be in. No way out except trusting God. So we've got this cycle that um, James laid out for us. So um, this year, one of the great gifts I got, other than a gift of healing and so many other, so many other wonderful things that, that God really did spiritually for me this year. Um, in the natural, I got a new washing machine. Come on, women, moms. Whoop. Yep, got a new washing machine. And I did not know that my washing machine did this. So, um, but I brought it home, put my first load in, and all of a sudden I hear just these little chimes, a little song at the end of the load. Now, remember, my children... They're still there, like they're everywhere. Their clothes are everywhere. Their things are everywhere, right? 
So I'm doing lots of laundry all the time. And I hear this song and I text Mark. I'm like, oh my gosh, my washing machine sings to me. It's like, do you know the joy? I mean, even now it's making me smile because I'm like, that just, I mean, because I hate laundry. I'd rather clean a toilet than do laundry. It's just how I'm, I'm made. I just, I mean, laundry, it's just ever, when you have so many people, do, do, does anybody else feel like it's just everywhere in your house? Like it's just always there, never done, always there. So I was just so excited about this washing machine. One of the reasons I was so excited not just about the song, but the washing machine is because it actually finished the cycle. The machine that I had before, nada. So, I mean, I don't know how many years it had been. Our family has walked around with dirty clothes that get washed. I don't know if you've had a washing machine that's that bad before, but when cycles don't work, they, they are irritating, and it makes things smell and stink, and I would actually have to take clothes out of my washing machine. It was so bad. I would have to take clothes out of the washing machine and then shake the dirt that did not come off of them, the lint, the dog hair, just the little fuzzies that are all in clothes, and then I would throw it in the dryer and hope that the dryer would just suck the rest of the dirt off of it. That's how bad my washing machine is. It would get off balance two and three times a week. Two and three times a week, it would just shake and vibrate the entire house. Have y'all had one of those? So it just gets off balance, and, I mean, the entire house is shaking, and you're like, oh, my God, is there an earthquake outside? No, it's just my washing machine. You know, so I was just so blessed because I like cycles that work. You like cycles that work, right? We don't like cycles that are broken, so regardless of whose fault it is, we don't like them. And we learn, we start learning about cycles early on, both in Christianity and in school. We see the little caterpillar that turns into the little pupa, that turns into the little larva, that turns into like a little chrysalis, and then it's an adult, and then it's a butterfly, you know. And um, sleep cycles. How many of you like your sleep cycle? I love my sleep cycle. And chemo has pushed me into this god-awful thing called menopause that I've talked about probably every time I've had a microphone since this year started. That's how awful it is. So Mark now tiptoes. Like if I go to bed before him, he's, yep, he's tiptoeing if he comes in the bedroom. So if he turns the light on to read his Bible, if he, God forbid, if he has to go to the bathroom and tinkle, um, I mean, just whatever, because I immediately sit down and I'm like, no, you woke my, me up. My sleep cycle's ruined. I'm going to be up for two more hours now. And inevitably, I am. I mean, if you get woken up halfway through the cycle, it's broken. You have to start all over, wind down. I mean, it's like I have to get up. I have to go walk circles in the living room. I literally have gotten up this year and walked circles in the living room thinking I've got to do something to try to get back to sleep. So cycles, we like them. We like them to work. So I want you to lean in this morning. Because I promise you that although trouble is not fun, if you will lean in to the Word of God this morning, you will come out on the other side in joy. You will come out on the other side in victory. He's not a liar. His Word doesn't fall short. His Word always does what it says it's going to do. His Word is not broken. This cycle of joy is not broken. It's us, our head, our mind. If it doesn't work... It's an internal thing. So let's lean in this morning. So um, the first of this um, word, that's fine. You can keep that up there. I'm not going there yet, but you can keep it up there, um, is trouble. And trouble comes at us in all forms. And the first thing that trouble does is it makes us confused. It causes fear. It causes anxiety. 
It causes us to, to want to retreat and shrink back. I mean, a lot of people who are in trouble, the first thing they, they want to do is not run towards a finish line. They want to go back, right? I mean, when they gave me the diagnosis of what had gone on, I was like, I, I don't want to handle this. Like, this is going to be a lot. When they told me that I was going to have to have chemo, I thought, nope, 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 nope. I remember going to my plastic surgeon's office, and I was like, I'm, I'm done. Like, let's just, let's be done. I have to be done. I'm done in October. And she said, honey, you're not done in October. I think I've told you all this before, like you are in for the long haul. Like this isn't going to end in October. You are in for the long haul. And I remember them having a conversation with me when I was really contemplating chemo. They knew that Olivia was pregnant and um, they knew I was about to be a grandma. And one of the nurses just leaned down because I was, I mean, I was thinking of retreating. I was thinking of, I'm not going to do it. Like I'm not going to have chemo. Um, we're, we're getting this over and, and I'm just going to be done. And with tears in her eyes, she looked at me and she said, we are trying, if you will just lean in, we are trying to get you to your grandchild's graduation. We are trying to get you to your grandchild's wedding. We are trying to get you to your great grandparent days. If you will just lean into this process. And I remember I had to make a decision that day. I was just like, gosh, you know, do I want to check out? (laughs) You know, or do I want to be in this thing for the long haul? You have that same option. Don't let trouble make you quit. Don't make trouble. Don't don't be the person whose testimony is, trouble took me way back here. Be the person who excels and just puts one foot in front of another foot and from another foot and just makes it to the other side. Let's, let's endure through trouble. So um, that you can put that scripture back up then because uh, that cycle, if you'll remember, it, it had trouble and then it had endure, right? That word, that's the word that we just don't like. I'm going to talk to you about that for just a minute. The Bible says in, in verse 5, James goes on to say, if you need wisdom, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He's not going to rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't waver for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled, just like the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Is that next scripture up there? Verse 7, okay, just blown, just leave it right there. It's not. Um, so the Bible goes on to say that person is not going to receive anything from the Lord because they're tossed to and fro. I think James knew what do we all need right when we hit trouble? I, wisdom, right? We need to know what do I need to do to get through this? What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? Our minds already go to trying to figure out a plan. And, and James comes up here and he tells us, listen, if you need wisdom, you need to ask God. But don't be double-minded. Don't be wishy-washy with this thing. You need to ask God. He's going to show up and he's going to speak to you. And then you need to just steady yourself and let endurance have its work. And endurance is hard. Endurance is the part that we don't like. Let me tell you, in, in as many words as I can, remember, I'm, I'm, it's really hard to take God and reduce him to, um, to a formula. So I'm just going to share my formula for endurance with you. And it's been 
you know, I can think of three or four uh, things in my life that, that have caused a trouble that, um, you know, that I just did not ask for. It wasn't on my plate, wasn't in my five-year-old diary when I was thinking about my life, right? Just wasn't there. I, I never thought that, that I would marry someone, that he and I would have to stand up and share our marriage story of failure and adultery with you like we do. I never thought at five, six, ten years old, making my diary, that I would be a woman who had breast cancer. There, there are just a lot of things that you don't think that you come. But, but in this enduring thing, let me tell you what, what, what I have done. When he says that, that if you need wisdom, you need to ask God, that is my number one. That is my number one. And wisdom from God, when we're in the middle of pain that we don't like and not liking the feelings, it doesn't feel good. I, you all are not the only ones who have not wanted to come to church before. Do you know that? Like Mark and I have not wanted to come to church before. When Mark and I crashed, when our marriage crashed, I didn't even want to show my head anywhere in my community. My face, I did not want it to be anywhere. We lost two churches, and my husband had cheated. So it was not fun. It's not pleasant today to tell the story. It's not pleasant. It's embarrassing, and it's, it's mortifying. And there, everything in my brain wanted to take over. And do you not think that I had people who were speaking to me about what to do? Good-meaning people who had all kinds of options for what I could have chosen to get out of that trouble. I had to reel myself in the same way I had to reel myself in with breast cancer when I'm getting text after text after text of who did chemo, who didn't do chemo, who did immunotherapy, who never had surgery, who flew to Mexico, who, I mean, just item after item after item after item who took drugs afterwards, who didn't take drugs afterwards, what those drugs caused, over and over and over. Number one, you need a word from God when you are in trouble. You need a word from God and only God, which is really hard for us. It's really, how many of you have any heady children in your house? How many of you feel like you might be a little heady yourself? So it's hard for me to pick on Stella because she is such a good kid. So, in fact, I just got a, a praise phone call from a teacher this week. How many of you know when a teacher calls, you immediately go, huh? <laughs> right? So called me personally just to tell me what a fine girl she was. So I hate to pick on her, but I'm picking on her for a minute. So Hetty, just Hetty sometimes, right? Since she's been four years old, four years old, she <laughs> has wanted to get dressed in the car. It doesn't matter where we're going. Like, she'll be halfway dressed when she comes out of the house. And I know all you moms are looking at me like, you could have you could have so stopped that before she turned five. I know I could have. She's number four. I reason with her. So I could have, I could have beat it out of her, but I didn't. So Stella and I communicate, don't we? Yes, we communicate. So we've been communicating for a while about her wanting to get dressed in the car. I'm like, why? Or why? I mean, it's a hairbrush. It's a makeup bag. It's gym clothes, cheer clothes, cheer shoes. Breakfast is in the car. There's food. Um, I mean, there's just so much. And we'll get, we'll get ready to go. And she's like, I'm ready. And I'm like, you're not ready. Like, go do your hair. She's like, I'm doing that in the car. Go do your makeup. I'm doing that in the car. Like, wear your shoes. They're in the car. Like, and it doesn't matter how many times I say to her, there's a much better system, Stella. 
There's a, a much better system that we could come up with to get through this thing called life. This is not going to get you very far. Like eventually you're going to have to deal with getting dressed in the car. One day you'll be driving. Please don't do mascara while you're driving. Like let's don't. I mean no cell phone and no mascara. That would be great. So can't get dressed in the car forever. Like it's just, and, and there's a much better system. How many of us are that same way with God and his wisdom? He tells us a system. He tells us what's going to be best for us. God says how it's going to happen, and we just, mm -mm. So I want to tell you a story. Um, put the slides up, please, about judges. A, a, a dude named Gideon, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, um, so much, just so much richness. If you have time to go read about the life of Gideon, so many exchanges take place in this passage that really aren't related to this story. This part is, but there's an exchange of idolatry and who he worships. There's an exchange of his identity and who he thinks he is. Um, there's an exchange of worship and who he had worshipped in the past. And um, Anyway, great story. So, But anyway, let's um, dig in right here. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. Whenever the Israelites would plant their crops, martyrs from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying their crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with absolutely nothing to eat taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts, meaning you couldn't even see. You couldn't even see the light of day. You, you just couldn't even see to, to take one foot in front of the other. They arrived in droves of camels that were too numerous to count. Has the enemy ever hit you that hard? left you barren with nothing, no sustenance, starving, naked, hiding, living in a cave, hiding out from him. I mean, cancer's a pretty scary word. Divorce is a pretty scary word. Some of us have some circumstances that are pretty scary. And sometimes retreating and hiding is, is what we want to do. So the Israelites, though, they cried out to the Lord for help. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Ebezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. In other words, he was where he wasn't even supposed to be with just the little bit that he could muster for himself, the little bit of hope the little bit of, of possibility, the little bit of something that was going to feed him and take care of him, the little bit of security. How many of you just sometimes feel like you get through life just holding on to the little bit? I just need a little bit. If I just have this little bit, I feel good. If I have this little bit, I can make it through. If I have this little bit, I'll be okay. And we're trusting in ourselves. 
trusting in ourselves, and we're thinking that that gives us peace. Let me tell you something. If the little bit of wisdom you've got and the little bit of plan that you can come up with and the little bit of hiding that you can do gives you more peace than what the God of the universe can give you, you've got a problem because it's going to lead you to know where Gideon was getting nowhere. His people were continually defeated. They were continually without, and he was continually hiding. And that is not the picture of joy. That's not a picture of making it through. It's not a picture of making it on the other side and some of us are content some of us have we we have bought into the lie and believed the lie that this is all we get this little fistful right here and I'm just going to hold it and keep it and hide it and protect it and we've bought into a lie and we're not walking in the fullness of of what Jesus Christ died to give us he wants you to come out of trouble in joy not to live in trouble repeating cycles of fear and insecurity and doubt and defeat so the Lord said to him Gideon son of Joash was threshing the swede at the bottom of the wine press and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said mighty hero does that sound like a hero to you Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Go to the next passage, Judges 7. By this time, Gideon's name had been changed. He and the angel had a couple of conversations. So Jerubal and his army got up early. So he's decided, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a mighty warrior. I'm going to be who God has called me to be in the middle of this trouble. In other words, I'm going to pick up my pants. I'm going to pick up my belt. I'm going to pick up my weapon. And I'm going to go and destroy the works of the enemy so that I can walk through on the other side. He made a decision to do this. And his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod, the armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you got too many people with you, dude. Too many warriors. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites are going to boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever's timid and afraid, let them leave this mountain and go home. 22,000 of them went home that day. We already know the camels couldn't even be counted, so they had to be more than 22,000, right? The locusts you couldn't even see through, and and 22,000 of this guy's best friends who were going into battle with him to defeat trouble just checked out on him. And the Lord said, I like that because it keeps you from relying on you. Gosh, I don't like that. Do you? Do you like to give up all of this? Like, just all the knowledge that you've got, which really is nothing compared to God's, but it feels so good, doesn't it? Like, it just feels so right. When we can write it, we can hold it, we can plan it. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000. But the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many of you. Bring them down to the spring, and I'll test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, Divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cut the water in their hands, lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with water uh, with their mouths in the stream. Next. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got up, down on their knees, and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory. Let me tell you something about endurance. 
that, that first thing, that word from God, you better not be double-minded with it. You better not think that your way is going to be better than his way. Endurance means you get through with his word, the word that he has given you, the word that he has given you, and you just keep marching with that word, with that word. That word may seem less than. It may seem like it makes no sense. It may seem like there is, it may seem like, you know what it might seem like? It might seem like common core math. How many of you fought with your kids like in first and second grade 10 years ago? Yeah, I did. I'm like, that's not how, I mean, like one plus one always equals two this way, just by writing it like this. And so like, no, we got to write it 10 different ways. His way is always right. It's always better than your way, and you're never going to make it through the other side. So, so if we're talking about things that I've done, it's, it, it's been his way, his wisdom, over and over and over and over again. And you have to do it over, you have to wake up the next day, over and over and over and over again. Forgiveness, over and over and over and over and over again. Giving, over and over and over and over and over again. Laying down my life, over and over and over and over and over again. Fear, giving it up, producing faith in my life by the word of God, saying the word of God over and over and over and over again in my life, writing the word of God down on little index cards, pulling them out every time fear wants to jump up, pulling them out every time doubt wants to jump up, putting them on my mirror, putting them on my phone, putting them in my car, putting a group of people around me who stir me towards the wisdom of God stir me towards that. When I said a while ago, there, there are times that, that, that we have had that we have not wanted to be in the house of God. You know what's kept me in the house of God? The word of the Lord that says you need to surround yourself with the body of Christ. You need to surround yourself with people who can speak to you, people who can encourage you, people who can lift you up. That's his wisdom. It's what he says to do. So I've got his wisdom. I've got the people of God. I've usually got a song of God in my pocket when I'm walking through these things. His wisdom and a word and the people and a song. And you just do these things and you start to mature. You start to realize that I can take a step that I might not feel good about, that I might be shaky about, that I might feel like I'm going to go under with. And you realize the next day, hey, I'm still here. Like I haven't died, I haven't gone anywhere. We're all still here and so you can do it again. And you get stronger and stronger and stronger, but not if you don't start taking those first steps. The Bible says um, that after we endure, we start to grow up a little bit. Perfect, complete, and wanting nothing. Maturity. So there are so many levels of maturity in my house right now. The least mature being Johnny Love. She's the least mature right? So she cries, she gets picked up, she gets fed, she gets exactly what she wants anytime she wants it because she's living in my house and I'm the grandma, right? So she just cries. Yesterday we went, um, already she's figured this out, which is um, maybe a sign of maturity for us. So uh, she's in my house 
or in my car, we were taking uh, Selwyn McKenzie to the swimming pool, um, which is just a short distance in our neighborhood, down one street and then straight uh, block of the other. And Olivia said, we'll ride with you. We'll hop in and ride with you. And so Olivia had Johnny Love in the front seat. I was driving. The girls were in the back. And she's just letting the wind blow her hair, you know, kind of putting her hand out the window while we drive down to the swimming pool. Halfway on the way to the swimming pool, Johnny Love found, I mean, not this, but it was a band that was in the car. So it's just sitting there in the car, and she wanted it, boy. She wanted it. It was, it was just abandoned. Olivia didn't want her to have it because everything's going in her mouth right now, like everything. And so she's like, uh-uh, germs. And Johnny loves just reaching for it. And before we got to the pool, it ended up being a cry. She's like, I want it. I want it. I, 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 crying. And Olivia's like, no, no, no. I'm sitting there driving, and I'm like, let the kid hold the band. Like, it's not going to hurt her to hold the band. And she's just weeping. Well, about that time, Johnny Love makes eye contact with me. She can't speak. She can't verbalize anything. But she makes eye contact with me. And I could see it in her eyes. And I'm saying with my eyes, yes, baby, I'll give it to you. Just (laughs) give me a minute. I'm like, I can't get you right now. I'm driving. Which I did say. I'm like, I can't get you. I'm driving. You know, and she's just reaching for me. And I'm just like knowing that she loves me and that she wants me and that it's all about me. You know, and she's just like, I love you, Bertie. And she's weeping with her mama looking at me. And I'm like trying to drive home real fast. As soon as I get into the driveway, put the car in park, take my seatbelt off. And I'm like, hand her to me. And she comes to me. She didn't want me. There was nothing about me she wanted. So she broke eye contact with me quickly and was like, so just looking at the band and then at me and at the band and at me. That is um, a level of immaturity. She sits in her own poop and doesn't even care. (laughs) Somebody has to tell her, you're sitting in your poop, like you're dirty, you stink, like it's nasty. The Bible says when we endure, we then start maturing. Let me tell you what I think about maturity. I think maturity is being able to self-regulate when it doesn't go like you want it to go. Johnny Love has zero self-regulation. Sometimes she'll cry, and it's an hour later, and I know she's forgotten what she's even started crying about. She just can't self-regulate those emotions. She can't rein them in. She's not mature. The Bible says if we're going to make it, we're going to have to not only endure, but we're going to have to grow up. We're going to have to not be so me-centered. At the end of the day, this year wasn't about me. I bear scars from this year, changed a little bit over the year. But this year, it wasn't about me. It was about God revealing who he was to me. And if we get our eyes, if we keep our eyes on ourselves too long, we're a little bit immature and we don't quite get what this thing is about. Um, give me five more minutes. I'm going to close with a story about Peter in First John or in John. I love Peter because Peter did some of the greatest exploits, right? Some of the great things with God. I mean, he's walking on water. If I was going to be one of the disciples, he would have been probably the one that I would have wanted to be just for that feat alone. He also was one who was in the inner circle with Jesus. He was one of the ones who went into Jairus' room when his daughter was dead. 
I mean, none of us. Y'all ever seen a dead person raised? Peter did. He walked on water, saw a dead girl come back to life. Saw fish and bread multiplied. Have y'all ever seen food just expand itself? I, I ate at the canoes this week. They're not here right now. If, you, if they ever invite you to lunch, though, it is like a multiplication of food. Best lunch I've ever had. So they were so good. I was just giving them a little shout out. They're not here. But um, anyway, so it, Peter was there. But Peter, every time he's in the middle of these exploits, every time he's, he's doing something, every time he's in this spot, he gets so moved by this, so moved by his emotions. And I'm like, God, is that me? Is that me? And I love this story because many of us find ourselves in, in Peter's life. We've almost walked on water. He did. We, we, we've almost made it, but the wind came and it shook and we end up falling. And we haven't made it through the joy cycle. That's where some of you are today. Prophetically, I know that. I know that your head has gotten in the way and that you've found yourself in places where you've, you've ended up defeated. This is where Peter was in this story in John. The Bible actually says that he was so defeated and disillusioned by life not happening like he thought life was supposed to happen and like he thought it would happen, that he got so disillusioned, he went back to being the person that he was before Jesus ever showed up and called him. Before he ever called him and said, there's these three disciples who the, the crucifixion had happened. We know what happened there with Peter. He's cussing people out and denying that he ever knew Jesus. Denying that you knew the dude and you were with the dude when the dead girl is raised just blows me for a loop. But I think, gosh, when the pressure's on, it's on, isn't it? So he finds himself at this place not proclaiming the good news that Christ had been resurrected but he found himself with two of his buddies back to being a fisherman. Already he was a called man of God. You are called. You are chosen. You have been appointed for this day and this hour. Peter too, but he, he went back to that boat because he was so heartbroken. So heartbroken because it, it didn't end up like he thought that it was going to end up and the Bible says in John that Jesus shows up and has a conversation with him after breakfast. Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, if I was Peter's daddy, if I was God, I mean, it's what I do with my children. I'm like, okay, Stella, let's talk about what could have prevented that from happening. How can we be better next time? Not Jesus. Not, not, not one finger pointing at him. He just says, hey, I just need to know, do you love me? I'm not going to talk about the failure here. I'm not going to talk about the fact that you left me high and dry. I'm not going to talk about the fact that you had no gutso to be able to endure, that you just couldn't make it happen. I'm not even going to have that conversation. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Plenty of time for Jesus to ask anything else. 
plenty of time for Jesus to point out his shortcoming and where he didn't make it. Plenty of time for him to be reprimanded or even slightly encouraged of how to make it happen better. Nope. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands. Others are going to dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Forewarning him, this this ending that's coming, it, it just might not look like everything that you want it to look like, but go on. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God, and then Jesus told him, follow me. Follow me. You know when you're mature, you can come out on the other side, it's when you realize this life is not about you at all. The trouble that you're in, not about you. One of the uh, praise team can come on up, or whoever's coming to play and close out, come on up. One of the one of the greatest uh, questions that Mark and I get asked so many times, um, and and I appreciate it. I, I don't know how people do ministry without it, but a lot of times we're asked, "Gosh, how are y'all so authentic? Like y'all just tell people your stuff." You know, I I, I thought that was ministry. I think that it is. So a, a lot of ministries, I, I think, maybe don't operate like that. But let me tell you the reason why. It's not because of us. It's not pleasant always telling our stories. It's not pleasant going through stories. I posted a picture this week. You can post that up there. Um, I, I'm not posting that for any other reason. I mean, you can see I still don't have eyebrows. They're drawn on. They're coming in. Um, but, but the reason that our tears... The things that we go through, the struggles that we have are important that we share with you is because we understand that you are our prize. And not only are you our prize, but you're his prize. And in Jesus' mind, it's only about you. It's only about sheep. It's only about who you can impact Whose life are you going to impact? As you look at the stories of your life that involve trouble and they involve struggle and they involve shortcomings and they involve, sometimes I make it through the joy cycle and I come out here and it's like, woohoo! Do I have to go to the doctor for so long, which is great. Sometimes you're in the middle of going under. But whose life is more important than yours this morning? When you begin to think like that, which is what Peter ultimately did, he ultimately had to grab hold of it. It hasn't been about my failures. It hasn't been about the disappointments. It hasn't been about the fact that the kingdom of God has not come about like I thought the kingdom of God was about to go down. But I'm going to give it all to him anyway. Stand to your feet. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.